0: The Musonomics podcast is supported by the Music Business Program at New York University's Steinhardt School of Culture, Education, and Human Development. For information, visit steinhardt.nyu.edu slash musicbiz. Welcome to this first episode of our third season of Musonomics. On this episode the quality of the audio we hear with music streaming and downloads. And what's the story with high resolution audio?
1: The difference is this. If we watch 2001 A Space Odyssey on a 15 inch black and white TV, or we watch it on an 80 inch high definition 4K plasma TV, it's the same movie, completely different experience. That's what HD tracks is. You can download an MP3 and you can listen to the music, but it's nothing like hearing a high res file in your home.
0: I'm Larry Miller from the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt, and that was David Chesky, the CEO of HD Tracks, on what it's like to listen to high resolution audio. Late last year, our friend Russ Krupnik and the MusicWatch team fielded a consumer study on the market potential for high resolution music. A lot of people said sound quality is important, but more than half were listening on smartphones. More than a third said that most of their listening is on headphones and earbuds, and a minority are dissatisfied with mobile sound quality. If the average person on a New York City subway with an iPhone and white earbuds is satisfied, what's the potential to get that person to pay for a higher resolution audio experience? And what did we mean by better sound? In the MusicWatch study, sound as good as the recording studio tested higher than curated playlists or exclusives. MusicWatch found there are about 25 million people with smartphones in the US who would pay for a better sound quality. And is 25 million large enough for a profitable niche market supporting multiple competitors? Plenty has been written about Tidal Hi-Fi's challenges in its short life to compete with the streaming giants like Spotify and Apple Music. Neil Young's Pono Music Store, launched in 2011, is now offline, but HDTracks, Deezer, and others are attempting to attract listeners by offering higher fidelity than CD recordings. Today, we're looking to answer a few questions. Is there a real future for these high-quality music streaming services? And if so, what does that future look like? In this episode of Musonomics, we'll discuss a few of the services that already exist and find out whether these streaming services offer tangibly improved listening experiences. We'll pick the brains of MQA CEO Mike Jabara, 7 Digital Deputy CEO Pete Downton, and HD Tracks founder David Chesky to see what the future of high quality streaming could become. But first, we sent Steinhardt Music Business Master's student Gabriella Chirinos-Mantellini to ask New Yorkers on the street if they cared much at all about audio quality in the first place.
2: Do you care about sound quality when you listen to music? I do. If it's... I mean, if it's... Can I curse? <laughs> if it's shitty, um... Yeah, it's... I, I mean, I care a lot about it. Would you pay extra for a guaranteed higher quality of music? So I think.
1: Um, probably, to a certain extent. I mean, I wouldn't pay, you know, double what I'm already paying, but, I mean, if it was by a smaller percentage, I wouldn't mind it.
3: Do you care about sound quality of the audio itself? I do care about sound quality, but I don't make enough to invest money in it. (laughs) So, out of convenience,
1: no.
0: So, from our decidedly unscientific survey, It's fair to say that most people care at least somewhat about the audio quality of their music. And we guess that most consumers who have adopted streaming as the primary way to get music might not want to trade convenience for better quality audio. But in a music world packed with streaming options, can an entire streaming platform based on high fidelity audio get off the ground? Mike Jabara is CEO of MQA, a company aimed at making high-res audio streaming a realistic proposition. Before that, Mike spent 20 years as a senior executive at Warner Music Group. I asked Mike how we got to the point where the vast majority of streaming services use music files that compress nine out of every 10 bits of information captured in the original master in making the files small enough to stream.
3: Convenience, be quality. The music industry, probably with the introduction of vinyl being the last example, really wasn't participating in the introduction of formats, at least leading them. The CD came from the outside. The MP3 came from the outside of the industry. And so the consumer experience component was not something that the rights holders, the artists, the creators were participating in necessarily. Certainly they were brought in once the technology was defined. And so I think when you look at lifestyle technology portability companies who are now deciding what the behaviors are going to be it's not great but it's I guess understandable historically that audio resolution wasn't necessarily the first thought right mass distribution data consumption convenience all of those things certainly were leading uh, characteristics and attributes they cared about more than audio resolution
0: So what does MQA have to offer that other music formats don't?
3: MQA is saying that we will make sure that the master provided is the one that's ultimately making its way to the consumer. The common definition of high-res audio tends to be a discussion around files that have been captured at higher than Redbook CD quality rates. So whether or not we are provided at MQA a CD master as the definitive source, or something higher than the CD master, our commitment is that that's what will transfer all the way through to the consumer.
0: What about the future of MQA?
3: I think we'll have been able to reintroduce audio quality as an important ingredient for music and sound generally for people. It feels as if it's been forgotten. Some of that, I think, is a generational training and expectation management for millennials and people that have been digital natives, where they weren't listening to music with enough information around it to really understand what we're talking about. The idea of talking about space between notes, which is something that artists speak about very comfortably, probably would be a foreign concept. And most of the consumer research that we have either involved ourselves in or have read about I think illustrates the fact that right now, the mass digital consumer, when hearing something different from what they've been trained to hear, will call it inferior, largely because they don't really have those words in their lexicon to talk about sound and audio resolution the way that some of us that have been listening for a long time do. And so the idea that we'll be able to reintroduce audio quality as an attribute that people talk about when they talk about music, that's really exciting, and that's something that we would expect in a few years' time.
0: Much has been written recently about the $9.99 sort of standard monthly price point for Spotify and Apple Music. But what about the higher priced or super premium services such as Tidal's or Deezer's $20 a month service? Or high resolution downloads from HD tracks? How should we think about the market potential for those super premium music products and services?
3: Each of the examples that you've brought up so far, to me, has a different personality and a different voice in the marketplace, and they therefore are speaking to different consumers. When you bring up um, the HD Tracks example, great curation. So when you are a customer of HD Tracks, you know you're going to be finding music that is a great fit for you and a wonderful listening experience. Um, Tidal has been able to do things on a larger scale in mass and certainly has a diversity of the genres and even the media types that they're satisfying and so I think it's great that we have both the curation the segmentation and the competition at the same time and so it's hard for me to say how do I think about them because I believe that the future of the music industry is many services that have that kind of a profile to them where they're either deep and exceptionally sticky with a smaller group of customers that care deeply and consider it to be a huge value or other people that love the personality and the voice of something that might be broader but also a little bit more extensive and the discovery there may be greater, the opportunities for discovery may be greater there. So I I would expect there to be um, even a broader range that includes artists that had the ability to curate almost their own streaming service to their fan base directly to the HD tracks, to the titles, and people that have even greater scale.
0: That was Mike Jabara, the CEO of MQA. Now we turn to Pete Downton. He's deputy CEO of Seven Digital, a London-based technology platform and content development company that powers many of the world's streaming and digital radio services. Pete, can actual humans tell the difference between high resolution and low bitrate files?
2: Um, I think when it comes to can you hear the difference? Well, you know, as as a music fan and not a music expert listener, I can tell the difference. You can hear detail, the 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 music sounds far more natural, the nuances, and it feels far more human. But I think the truth is, when you, you ask the question, can humans tell the difference? Well, science has already told us, neuroscience has proven beyond any reasonable doubt in the last decade or so, that the human being reacts very differently to a high-resolution file than, than they do to a, a a lossy file. And the lossy files, the MP3s that, that that came prevalent at the launch of the early digital music service, in many ways are an artifact. of of a time gone by when actually you had to reduce the size of the file in order to deliver music on a mobile network. Now really today we have no excuse as an industry to be satisfied with delivering something which is actually less in terms of the audio quality than we were delivering the 1980s with CDs. It seems quite strange to me um, and quite inexplicable that we're still doing that. Um, So I think absolutely the listener can tell the difference.
0: So what are the companies around the world that offer high-quality music delivery?
2: Well, today, those services, I mean, fall into two camps. There there are the services that are download services, and actually, you know, the earliest one was launched in Japan in 2005, Onkyo eMusic, which is still the largest download store in Japan outside of Japan you have services in downloads hd tracks in america that launched a few years ago has been tremendously successful it's 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 served an un- underserved market in terms of jazz and classics and classic rock uh, alongside that you have services that are streaming services that are delivering what is cd quality today so deezer um probably the most one of the most notable together with tidal where actually those streaming services have taken a decision that we want to get back to at least as good as CD.
0: What do you think is the likelihood that more of these services or many many more people will appreciate the benefits of high resolution music and choose to pay for it?
2: Well, I think I mean I think in the medium term it's it's you know it's inevitable that that we'll have higher quality um, experiences. It's, it's its a given. I guess the question is between now and then, how does the market develop and evolve? And I think what we'll see in the next 12 months is, uh, for the first time, a much larger catalogue of studio quality recordings than we've seen. I mean, we have uh, close to 500,000 500, 24-bit files on our platform. which is the, It's the largest high-resolution catalogue available commercially. I think, in, in some ways, we'll look back to this day and where we are today, in the same way as I look back at it being quite extraordinary that there was only 150,000 songs on iTunes when it was released.
0: Any discussion of audio quality in today's world should mention the last two feet problem, the connection between the playback device and your ears. So I have to ask about headphones and Bluetooth. Apple has now famously eliminated the mini stereo audio output from the iPhone 7. Some consumers are complaining.
2: Yeah, I think there's been a lot written about the motivation for doing that, which uh, which which is as, as as a keen top a keen amateur in technology, who spent a few years at a semiconductor IP business. I think I think that the narrative around why Apple have, of doing that is probably probably wrong, and I think most consumers and most observers think it's they've done it in order to sell new headphones and build a, a new revenue line. And my gut is probably that what they're doing there is is optimizing power and performance by taking away a piece of the device in the mobile mobile phone that's not necessary anymore.
0: There's a limit to how good Bluetooth headphones or earbuds can sound?
2: I think, I mean, there's a limit today in in terms of, there are a number of technologies out there. So if you're sat on a tube in the London Underground listening to the new Michael Bublé record, I don't really care what quality of Bluetooth you're using for your wireless headphones, you're not going to get the full benefit. Yeah, when you're listening to high quality audio in your home with a nice glass of wine um, you, you you don't you don't have the background noise of, of, a, of an underground. let's be clear if, if you're a music lover and you subscribe to music service not all listening situations are equal. All right. So when you're when you're when you're traveling, it doesn't matter how good the, the the headphones are and the Bluetooth. You know, you pay if you want noise cancelling because you get a benefit from that. But there's a limit to how much better you can make that experience. If you're in your car, or if and you're in a home, that then then you've got great listening conditions. And so then the quality absolutely matters. And the, the beauty of technologies like MQA, and there will be other technologies I'm sure that come to market over time that try and solve the same kind of problems. Um, the beauty about those technologies is that they're dynamic they de- they deliver the best experience based on the device you're using and the context um, and, and and so we shouldn't necessarily obsess about making it perfect in every environment we know that some of the conditions mean you, you just won't tell the difference
0: David Chesky is CEO of HD Tracks, a high-resolution digital music store offering high-resolution, downloadable music in multiple formats. He's also an artist himself, performing in a jazz group and as a pianist, in addition to composing classical music. So, David Chesky, what does a high-quality music streaming experience sound like?
1: Okay, the difference is this. If we watch 2001 A Space Odyssey on a 15 inch black and white tv or we watched it on an 80 inch high definition 4k plasma tv it's the same movie completely different experience or even we took it into 70 millimeter that's what HD tracks is you can download an mp3 and you can listen to the music but it's nothing like hearing a high-res file in your home okay that's it now look I don't advocate everybody use HD tracks if you like to vacuum and you know clean your house and have dinner and music as wallpaper or a wallpaper don't use us, play the MP3 in the background. But if you come home and you're the type of person who's a music lover, wants to sit in front of those speakers and have a glass of wine or whatever and relax and soak it in, then I advocate using HD tracks because you're gonna hear every nuance, the tone, the tonality.
0: Are you referring to what you're doing at HD tracks as a model that's a possible solution to the problem that streaming poses for musicians?
1: Well, we can do it. We're working on a lot of models right now. Here's the problem with streaming. The problem with streaming is it's not good for the streaming companies because they lose money, and it's awful for the musicians because they can't make money, so we've, we've created this world.
0: So what's the environment like for high-definition audio consumption?
1: I think it's healthy and it'll only get better. You know, listen, this is a... It all depends on our society. I mean, are we a society that is, it wants good enough? Then you have a problem. Or are we a society that demands the best? If, if we if we keep going good enough, then it's not good for anything. And then also all the arts will suffer. Literature, jazz, and good music, and whatever, will become a, a fast food culture. But if we if the pendulum swings the other way and people are going to say, wait a second, you know, I want great music, I want good food, I want good literature, then it benefits all. But this is a paradigm, a philosophical paradigm of our culture, not so much of the technology. We can deliver these technologies. That's the easy part. The... the The hard part is, you know, getting people that really want the best, you know, that strive for it and saying, listen, I want the best sounding music. I want to look at great 4K movies on my television set. You know, I want to hear great headphones. I want to hear surround. Then it all, it's an ecosystem. Then all ships rise with the tide.
0: And there's a sufficiently large market of those people to sustain a business like this?
1: It's a luxury market. Listen, you know something, Mercedes is not the size of VW, but it's a luxury market, and that's it. I don't expect, you know, 12-year-old kids to be jumping on this, but I figure after you're out of college and things like that, then people should get into it.
0: If we believe the experts, high-fidelity audio does indeed have a future in the digital streaming market. For many, good enough truly isn't good enough. Many on the internet do actually seek out the best available quality of their favorite music, looking for specialized services to get top-quality files for certain albums. As this specialized market develops, will there be services that can provide high-quality files, hold an audience, sustain themselves, and fairly compensate rights holders? Only time will tell. That's all the time we have for this episode of Musonomics. Thank you to our guests, Mike Jabara, Pete Downton, and David Chesky. Thanks also to Russ Krupnik and Music Watch. The Musonomics podcast is produced by Musonomics LLC, strategy consulting and analytics for and about the music industry. This episode was produced by Peter Slattery and Ibar Iden, with contributions from Gabriella Cirino Mantellini. Peter Merriman, Abby Keys, and Ashna Saiga. From the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt, I'm Larry Miller. Thanks for listening to Musonomics.